Welcome. Good morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. If you are new to LifePoint, let me say welcome. Grateful to have you with us as a guest. I will encourage you to do one thing. If you will turn on your camera on your phone and put it on the QR code on a chair in front of you, that'll take you to a landing page we call lpguest.com. You can just type that in lpguest.com. And on that page, that's our online connect card. So all the information you want to find out about LifePoint, uh, you can have upcoming events that are happening. Uh, there's uh, the sermon notes you can follow along in. And then on top of that, there's a guest information button. If you click that button, fill out a little bit of information, let us know how you heard about LifePoint, scroll down. There are five ministries we support at all of our campuses. Choose one of those. We'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry as a way to say thanks for just checking in with us today. Uh, that's a commitment we made for, you know, if God brings us guests, we want to honor them in that way. So uh, that's a great way to do that uh, this week. If you are, if LifePoint's your home and you have not been connected to a life group, today is life group launch. So on your seats, you might see a catalog that looks like this. Uh, if your friend has it and you don't have one, you have to battle it out. I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, but Here's the thing, if you're not connected, in here are a list of all of the groups uh, at our campus, and I would encourage you to try one, find one, uh, men's groups, women's groups, uh, collective groups, I mean, whatever helps, you know, we want you to connect with others. It's a great way to help spur on your journey of faith, uh, and you might be a blessing to someone else, so I want to encourage everyone to be connected. If you have questions about that, uh, as you head out today into the lobby, there are different tables, Guest Central as well. You can ask somebody, uh, and they'll help you get connected to a group, and if none of that works, just come find me. I'll help you, so nevertheless, uh, we want everyone to be connected to a group today. Uh, that said, I, I was thinking about an experience I had years ago. Uh, I was a brand new pastor at the time, and I was invited to go to a conference down in Georgia. And so I traveled down with a few buddies, and there were about 3,000 ministers from all over the country there at this conference at this really big church. And there were lots of like famous speakers there and some bands that led worship that are kind of famous. And it was, it was a really cool to be in a small setting like that um, and to hear such great teaching. And, and my goal was uh, to, you know, to learn, to refresh, and be ready to go back out and surf. Well, one of the speakers there was a guy named Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio is um, a great author and speaker, and he leads a collegiate movement that's nationwide. It's actually international, but um, he was teaching, and he did a breakout session on preaching. And I thought, you know, I would like to be a good preacher someday. I was at the beginning of my run. I'm like, I, I want to I know. And this guy's really, really good at it. And it's a breakout session, which means you can ask questions if you want. Like, I was like super psyched to go to his breakout session because I thought, he's great, and I want to be adequate someday. Like, if I could just hear what he has to say, maybe I'll learn something about preaching. So I go to the breakout session, and there's like maybe 100 people in the room, and we're in this tiny room, and he's up front, and he starts teaching. Now, what I mean by teaching is he started talking, <clears throat> and he started talking about this bakery in this small town in Georgia. Now, I was expecting to hear like his technique for getting into the word of God and helping people understand it. I was expecting him to dig in like, here's, here's the ways I connect and help. Like he didn't share any of that. He just started talking about this bakery in Georgia in the small town. He started talking about the small town, the history of the small town. He started talking about the bakery and how this, this bakery has it's been like generational and different generations of the people in the family who own the bakery. And he started talking all about this stuff for like the first 10 minutes. I'm like, it was super interesting, but I'm thinking, when's he gonna get to the point? So I'm just listening he keeps going on and on. Then he has this white box. 
he opens the white box and pulls out a slice of cake. Like a slice of cake and sticks it on the table, moves the box down. And he goes, let me tell you about desserts. He starts talking about his favorite desserts. His favorite are Krispy Kreme donuts when they're super warm. He goes, once they're past the super warm, they're okay. But when they're warm, they're like, you know, like butter. They just melt in your mouth. He's going on and on and talking about how this, how why cake is better than everything. He goes and talks about different types of cakes and flavors of cakes and this and that. He's just going on. Like we're 30 minutes in, he's talking about cake. Then he goes, let me tell you about this specific piece of cake. And we're like, okay, we're in now. We're all in on the cake. Tell us about the cake. He goes, this was a certain type of cake. He goes, and let me explain. He's done the flavors and the types of materials, all the stuff it's made of, and I'm not a baker, but he's just going on and on about the cake. He goes, let me tell you why this cake is even better than fresh cake, because fresh cake is awesome. Day-old cake, it's, everything starts to melt in, and just like the molecules break down the sugars. It just, it kind of runs, and it's just even better the second day. He's going on and on and on about the cake, and I keep waiting for him to get to the point, and I'm, he's just going on. I'm like, I'm invested, like I said, at the end of all that, 40 minutes in, he says, here's the deal. The word of God is more powerful than anything you're ever going to talk about in your life. And if you can be interested about cake, imagine what you can do with the word of God. And I went, oh. <laughs> like, how do I make people that interested in the word of God? And I'm like, I'm, I'm going through my head. And I saw someone do something so bold, so audacious, it actually made me uncomfortable. The guy up front raised his hand. And I thought, he's going to ask a question that I want to ask, and I'm going to hear the answer. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you make the word of God that attractive? You know, how do we do that? Like, the guy raises his hand, and Louie looks at him and goes, yes? He goes, can, can I have the cake? <laughs> Louie pulls out a fork and said, I thought someone might ask. And he handed him the fork and the cake, and the guy ate it. And I'm thinking, there's a hundred of us in this room, and we've been investing in this cake for 40 minutes. I kind of wish I could have some of the cake. But he got the cake, not me. Now, you might be thinking, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important, because we're in a new series and in the series, we're calling Not Without Hope. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians. And the big idea we're talking about every week is how Jesus is the source of enduring hope. Not just a kind of hope, but enduring hope. And here's what I can tell you about life. Just on this side of 50, here's what I've learned. People with a bold faith make a big impact in the kingdom of God. People who have a bold faith, who actually, they read the same Bible, listen to the same sermons, they, they pray the same prayers, they go to the same life groups, but somehow they just believe in such a way that they actually respond to what they're learning and hearing, and they live this bold faith, and somehow God intersects their life, and they make a difference in the kingdom of God. And as they make a difference, they seem to intersect God somehow, that their faith continues to grow and grow and grow, and they seem to be transformed and changed and attractive, and you're like, why? How did they get like that? And when you meet them, they would say, I just, I just have faith. Sometimes we have a friend in our life who's that bold person that raises their hand and eats the cake, right? I don't think God wants us to be the person that watches other people have a bold faith. I think he wants all of us to have a bold faith. I really do. And I think it's to our best advantage to have a bold faith. Because here's the reality. Nobody wants to, to be the person who looks at everyone else and says, wow, they really, they experienced God in their lifetime. And I'm over here, you know, watching you eat cake, right? I think God wants that for us because as we take steps of bold faith, God intersects our life. It doesn't mean you have to have lots of faith. I don't think God ever requires you to have like a whole boatload of faith. He said a little bit of faith is plenty. So long as you have a, you know, a bold faith in it with the little that you have. So if you came in today and you're like, you know, I, I want to have 
you know, an impact in the kingdom. I want to have this bold faith. I, I want to see God work in and through my life. I want that for my life. And maybe you came in today and you're like, I don't even know that my faith registers. Like if you came in thinking, I, I'm here because I'm trying to get some faith. Well, I think God doesn't want you to have like some weak counterfeit faith. He wants you to have a bold faith that's centered in something very true, something that will give you enduring hope no matter what the circumstances are in life. So let's take a second. And let's ask God to speak to us in this moment, okay? Let's pray. Father, there's a purpose uh, for all of us to be here. And we're all here in different parts of our journey. And you know just how to meet us where we're at. And I'm praying, God, that you would use the word of God. And by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us individually as you speak to all of us in this room right now. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open it up uh, to 1 Thessalonians. We asked everyone to read through 1 Thessalonians last week, and we're going to look at chapter 2, and our hope is that we would find out a little bit about bold faith and what that means for our life. The first thing I want you to see is this, is that the gospel is worth the risk. If you're following along on the app in the sermon notes, here's the deal. When I sent my notes in this week, I actually copied them from 2 Thessalonians on the first two points. So that's on me. And that all of the people who actually do this, like they make all the notes things, they, they started calling me this morning like, hey, what's the matter with you? You're using the wrong notes. I went, I sent you the wrong notes. So I'm apologizing to you up front saying, you have to pay attention to me now. So um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, let me explain. The first point I want you to get is this, is that the gospel is worth the risk. The gospel is worth the risk. And Paul had come from Philippi before he went to Thessalonica. If you were here last week, you remember that Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come help us. And so he concluded that God was leading him to go to Macedonia and to share the gospel. Now, Macedonia is modern-day Greece, so there was a lot of pagan religions there. There were some Jewish people there, and so... Paul leaves, or he goes to Philippi first. And when he's in Philippi, he receives a bunch of persecution. In fact, if you read about it in Acts, you find out he was, he was stripped and beaten and thrown in jail. So that was his treatment in Philippi. So by the time he gets to, to Thessalonica, and you know, there, he still has the wounds on him when he gets there. And he's, he's going to share the gospel with them. And here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So imagine for a second, you're Paul. And you've just been to Philippi where you've been completely like beaten and thrown in jail. Um, and then you go to the next city and you immediately do the same thing. Why would you be expecting anything different? In fact, he might have been thinking, wow, the first town, they beat me up. I mean, they're going to kill me in the next town. We don't know what was in his mind. But the chances are that he was expecting persecution because God kind of let him know that. But he's saying, but that's okay. So what makes someone do that? Why would you go purposely knowing you might get beat up? Why would you go purposely knowing you might get thrown in jail? Or why would you go purposely maybe thinking it might be the last time you get to go anywhere? You would have to have a bold faith. What was his boldness in? Verse 2, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. Because of who God is, I'm going to share the most important message with you you're ever going to hear. That's what Paul is saying. He believed so strongly that the gospel was the most powerful message. In fact, in Romans 1, he talks about it being the power unto salvation. The message of the gospel is the one thing that can lead you to salvation in God. That's it. That's how convinced he was. 
And he understood the risk, and it was worth it for him. Now, I, I share the gospel with you guys in a different way every week. Um, I try to make it as clear as I can. I'm going to share it with you a little bit differently this week, uh, just because, you know, I've got 99 ways to do this, and I'm finally going to find the perfect one someday, but here's one. So, imagine you and I were there with Adam and Eve. God made a world that was absolutely perfect. So, the relationship between God and Adam and Eve was perfect? No sin. They, had, they walked in fellowship together. They hung out together because there was no sin on top of that, their relationship with each other had no animosity, no struggles between Adam and Eve at all. They got along great because there was no sin. Their relationship with creation was no problem because there was no sin. There was no death there. Nothing was going to attack them. There was nothing to be afraid of. It was perfect. No animal was going to hurt another animal, let alone them. It was perfect. Everything about the world was perfect at the beginning. That's the way God designed it. But when sin entered to the world, it came with a curse. And it broke everything about their relationships with God. So their, their relationship with God was separated now because of sin and God is holy. God cannot participate in sin or be connected to sin because of his holiness. So there's a separation now between Adam and Eve and God. On top of that, their relationship with each other became problematic. They started to have problems with each other because of sin. And on top of that, their relationship with creation was a problem now. Now death entered the world all of the things about the world became broken. And I think we, because we inherit the same nature as Adam and Eve, we feel that brokenness. It's super easy to look around us and see brokenness, is, is it not? Like we see it in the world, we watch the news, we can see brokenness everywhere. But we see it in our neighborhoods, we see it in our families. And honestly, if we're being completely honest with ourselves and not trying to cover it up, we see it in us. The brokenness of sin has impacted us inside. Now, here's the problem. Because the world is broken, God cares about us and loves us so much that he sends his son to live the life that you and I could never live because he's God in the flesh. He was tempted in the same way that all of us were, but he didn't sin. And so he was the only one who could be the sacrifice for sin. So he chose to lay his life down, died on a cross. He took on all the brokenness, all of the curse of sin on him one time. So the justice of God prevailed but the grace and mercy of God is exclaimed to all of us when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And now that Jesus is alive, he sends his Holy Spirit into the world to share the message of the gospel that anyone who hears it in faith and comes to Christ would receive his righteousness because he paid their penalty of sin. Righteousness means right standing with God. So now, even though the world is still broken, God is one by one intersecting mankind that any person who comes to him becomes restored in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of the gospel. And on top of that, now, because there are believers, believers become agents of the message of the gospel in a broken world. And one day, God is going to restore the whole world back to himself. But until that day, the message goes forward. That's a message that's worth the risk. Let's, let's be honest. If you knew someone, if you went to a restaurant today, and uh, it's, it's, you're going to like the chicken place, right? Everyone there is having chicken. And you go and you hear the chicken is laced with something poisonous. Let me ask him, what would you do in that moment? Would it be worth looking a little foolish? I mean, certainly you wouldn't let your family eat. You wouldn't eat it. But you would start screaming at people. And you'd look a little ridiculous. Now, I don't think that's exactly what God's calling us to do is to be ridiculous. But I think God knows that we carry that message and he wants us to be wise in how we share it. 
but it is the power under salvation. It's worth the risk. That's what Paul is saying. The boldness came because he understood the risk. Here's the thing. What, what is it he's exactly risking to? I mean, in the last town, they beat him up, they stripped him, they put him in jail. That's a risk. And, and you got to think, man, if, if, if that was promised to us, we would all question if it was a good idea to do what Paul was doing. But Paul went anyway, because here's why. He believed that if something bad happened, God would use it for good. He goes on down there in, in the end of verse 4. He says, but just as we've been approved by God and been entrusted with the, the gospel, I mean, we are now carriers of the message... So we speak not to please man. I'm not looking to, to help you as, or to please you. I'm looking to help you with what? Because, but to please God who tests our hearts. I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to please God who tests our heart. Meaning if he brings something hard into my life, he's gonna use it to test me. He's gonna test my faith. And that's a benefit to me personally. You and I will not know the strength of our faith unless something comes against us to test it. And we need to know how strong our faith is. Let me explain. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he was a skeptic of his brother until he saw his brother rise from the dead. And I think that's what it probably took for him. But here's what he wrote in his letter to the church in chapter 1 of James. Verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when something hard comes against your life, when struggles of faith happen to you, you should be joyous. Like, way to go, James. <laughs> Thanks, man. But he's saying, look, if that happens, God will use that to strengthen your faith. And if that happens, if your faith becomes strong, steadfast, you will be complete and lacking in nothing. It's another way of saying you will finally be mature in your faith. Your boldness will grow as your faith gets tested and shown that it's strong. We need this in our life. I, uh, I was thinking about a book that I, I read. And, and, and the book created, I mean, it's probably the most humbling book I've read in my life other than the Bible. Um, and I think it's important. And, and let me explain why. Because I think, I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like I'm an expert at one thing in this world. I'm an expert at trying to make myself comfortable. I want to eliminate risk. You? Like, I want to prepare my life now for what's going to happen in the future so that my life in the future is going to be the way I choose it to be. And I choose it to be one in which it's going to be pleasant. I never say, you know what I want for the future? Gosh, if God would just test me so much, it would destroy my life. Man, that would be awesome. <laughs> now, if God does bring that persecution in my life, then I know he'll be there and I want him to grow my faith. But I don't plan like that. I plan like, how can I be, you know, set up for the future? How can I set up my kids for the future? How can I set up the church for the future? I, I want everything to be comfortable and I'm really good at trying to eliminate risk, right? That's my nature and yet I don't know that that benefits my faith. Let me explain. Back to the book. So a few years ago, I read this book. Uh, it's by a guy who wrote under a pseudonym named Nick Ripkin. It's called The Insanity of God. Here's a little picture of the book. If you've not read the book, I'm going to highly recommend it for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I think it's, it's really just a great book and you'll enjoy the book. But two, it might have the same effect on you as it had on me. Here's what the gist of the book is. It's about this guy and his family that went on the mission field in a very dangerous country in Africa. It was an Islamic country, and he goes there to share the gospel with the people there. Uh, and it, the first half of the book chronicles his experience going on the mission field. And during the time there, here's what happens. Only a few people actually become believers in his area under his ministry and they get hunted and martyred. So during his time there, now, God did some cool stuff indirectly for the government of the United States and helping out that government, um, and he was kind of a catalyst in that, but 
Spiritually speaking, the believers that became believers there got martyred. On top of that, while he was there, his son had a tragic uh, asthma attack on the field, could not receive help, and died on the field. So they came home, and they were wounded. I mean, they were broken people. As you can imagine, they would be. I mean, anyone would be. And he's questioning, you know, why did you bring us all the way over there, God? It was so difficult. Why couldn't it have been better? Why didn't, I mean, we had dreams that people would come to faith and we transformed the country. Like, all those things were true. He comes home and he's like, you know what? This was just hard. And he started thinking about here in America, there's so many resources here. I mean, there's just, we're resource rich. And he thought, you know what? The church here, we could offer people in those hard hit areas the best things they need to help them through their persecution. So he thought, I'm going to go around the world and, and just experience and understand the people in the most persecuted areas in the whole world when it comes to the church. And that's what he aimed to do. And the hope was that he would come back to America with the message of the persecuted church and so that we would figure out a way to support and resource them. That was the aim. Here's what actually happened. He did go around the world. And so the second half of the book chronicles his experiences. And he goes to like Iran, the underground church in China, and all these different places all over the world where they're just, the church is persecuted. And here's what he found out. The church there is doing fine. They're actually stronger in their faith than we are in America. He goes, it's funny. I went there figuring out how to resource them, and I realized these people depend on God so much that God keeps showing up, and their faith continues to grow. They're stronger and more dedicated in their faith than we are. In fact, the message wasn't for them. It's for us. I remember when I read the book thinking, I, I don't know how my faith would respond in a situation like they're in. And yet, those people seem to be closer to God have more worship in their heart filled up because they're so dependent on God all the time. Isn't it interesting? We try to, try to eliminate risk and these people who are under deep risk end up having the strongest and most bold faith because they know the gospel is the message that saves people. Well, the second thing I wanna share is this, is that boldness comes from a source. He goes on in the next, I don't know, 10 verses or so, and, and he basically talks about how when he came to the Thessalonians, he lived out in front of them a, a good example. He said, look, you saw how I lived. You saw how we dealt with our affliction. You saw how we dealt with people. Like, you saw the example of how we lived. We want you to continue to emulate that. And he goes on in verse 13 and says this, but we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you heard it from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So he told them the story about the church in Jerusalem and in Judea and, and all that area in Israel where they, they thrived at first and Paul was part of the persecutors, right? And that church that was persecuted, they scattered and they shared the gospel everywhere they went. But they held on to their faith. And he says, you guys were the same. You Thessalonians were exactly the same. You held on to your faith and you shared it everywhere you went. You became an example in the same way. Why? What was it? What was the source of their boldness? Well, when Paul shared with them the words of God, they took it very much like that. It's the word of God. And the word of God, it says, had its work in them. The end of 13, the word of God, which is at work in you. So here's the thing. If you're gonna have a boldness, then you'll need the word of God. Because you can have a boldness in a lot of ways in life, but that's not enduring hope. You're gonna need a boldness in a source that's actually gonna provide for you the very faith that you need which means you need the word of God. And if, if, you, if you 
If you have a Bible and you don't know the Bible very well, then you're doing yourself a disservice because you can't allow the Word of God to really work in you unless you're feeding on it. You're taking it in. So, so this past week, as I've been studying this passage, I got a random text from a guy at like 6.30 in the morning. So my alarm hits, and I'm in between the alarm and the snooze. You know that moment where you're half awake and half asleep? And you, I don't know, how many, how many snoozes do you go? I'm a, like a six snooze person anyway. So I'm in between three and six snoozes or whatever in, and I get a text from this guy, and my phone lights up, and I look at the text, and it's a stat. So I had to put on my glasses. It's a stat of Bible reading in America how it's gradually been going down each decade over the last several decades. And we're at like kind of an all-time low in terms of how Christians read their Bibles. Isn't that interesting? So Christians read their Bibles less now than they have in decades. Weird, right? Well, the question would be why? Well, one of the thoughts might be that we have phones now that we scroll information and it kind of feeds that, uh, that desire for information. And maybe we've kind of replaced the Bible with scrolling I mean, that could be a possibility. It could be that as we're scrolling in, you know, the world has all this information out there that kind of attacks the Bible, and maybe we've lost some trust in the Bible. That's a possibility. It could be that, the, you know, people in the church are just less motivated because we're under less persecution. We don't need it. I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, it's pretty comfy for most Christians. We're, I'm not going to get beaten today, I don't think. I mean, unless one of you all gets super mad, but I've got some people in the room that will protect me. I'm just saying. Um, I... I don't know why exactly, but I know in my lifetime, I've had seasons where I just got lazy and I created other habits. And you need habits in your life to take in the word of God. And here's what I know. When you take in the word of God and you believe it and you actually respond to it, it changes your faith. And it actually makes you dangerous in the world. Because the last thing the enemy wants in your life is for you to read the the word of God and allow that to do its work in you. Because if it does its work in you, it's going to start influencing the people around you. You'll start loving people, caring about people. Like, you don't need to be a genius that when you read the word of God, it says that we need forgiveness, that we go to God and ask for forgiveness. You don't need to be a genius to read that, that, that Jesus told his followers, look, if you have a problem with someone, don't come and try to prove yourself to me. Go there and just make it right with them. You know what that means? That sometimes we have to go to people and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's bold faith, to hear the word of God and actually let it do its work in you and actually respond. But you have to take in the word of God. If you don't take in the word of God, you're going to be like a leaf that's blowing around in a hurricane. You're just going around in life to whatever thing is being blown around. You don't have any anchor. You don't have any source in your life to have boldness. You need the word. This is why... Um, in this series, we have asked for a couple things. Last week, I, I, I gave everyone a task. I want you to read 1 Thessalonians uh, chapters 1 through 5 uh, every day, Monday through Friday, and then follow along in the drive cast. So I hope that many of you guys did that. If you already have your own Bible reading plan, that's fine, but we're asking that everyone do this. Here's what we're doing now, and we're asking that you download the app to do this. If you haven't, download the app. I think uh, my buddy Andy made a QR code that you could actually look at here. Um, you can follow along. You can go to your, your uh, search engine or whatever and find Life Point Ohio and uh, download. It's got the little blue star. Download it. Here's why. Because here's the homework we're giving all of you. Follow along in the Drivecast. That's like a four-minute, five-minute devotional that the teaching pastors put together. And as you're following along in that devotional, it's going to also have like a, a, you know, something, a reading plan that you can read along with. And it's going to prompt you in prayer. It's a really cool thing. It might take eight minutes of your day. But if you don't already have a habit, maybe this will help you develop a habit of taking in the Word of God. And take it in. And that's going to change your life. Trust me. 
The last thing, it kind of goes on, and I want to share this. One of the things I'm most excited about is that Paul's boldness was fueled by hope. Paul had a boldness. The source was the word. He believed the gospel was worth the risk, but he had a hope that really fueled it all. Here's what he says in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, I mean, these guys got, and they had to leave town. They were going to get killed. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord? Jesus said, is coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Now, let me, let me kind of break that down a second. Here's what he's saying. Okay, look, we, we, we had to leave. We were forced out of town, but we weren't absent in our heart. We wanted to see you. We longed to be with you. We wanted to connect. And here's the thing. Why? Because there's a hope that we have. The hope that when the Lord comes back, that you're there. We're sharing this together. Let me explain. He didn't look at the Thessalonians as a way to prove himself to God. Like, okay, all right, if I keep going from town to town and I endure suffering and persecution, I keep sharing, every person I share with, I'm going to put a notch on my belt. And then, God, when I look up in front of you, I'm going to show you my belt of all the people I shared with. Like, that's just proving yourself to God. And I'm telling you, God is not that interested in you proving yourself to him. He already knows who you are. He knows what you're good at and what you're not good at. And he's better at everything that you think you can do anyway. So, like, he's not that impressed. That's not the motivation that Paul had. It's not like, okay, well, these people need fixed. Like, I heard about the paganism going on over there in Thessalonica. Boy, I thought Philippi was bad. You guys are even worse. And, like, what if he just went from town to town thinking, I'm going to fix this town. I'm going to fix this town. Oh, there's the Vegas over there. That's Laodicea. I'm going to Laodicea. I'm going I'm to fix all these terrible towns. That wasn't Paul's motivation either. His goal wasn't to transform people like a project. You see his motivation in verse 7 and 8. Look at this. When we were with you, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. What's that sound like? That sounds like family. So it's like he treated them like family, like he loved them. And his hope was that when Christ comes back, and look, we're going to talk about the return of Christ, and I'm just, I'll give you a little teaser, he's coming back. <laughs> he's going to set it right. And let me tell you something, when he comes back, for those who believe, it'll be the greatest day you've ever had in your life. Like, you think there's a day in your life that was the best day? Christ coming back will be the best day of your life. To be able to see him face to face, to see him in all of his glory, in the incredible love that he has, that's the day that's going to make every believer's lifetime is going to be that moment. And here's what he's saying. When I see that moment, I want you to be with me. And you know what I'm going to point to? Jesus, there they are. These are the ones you gave to, that you gave to us that we were able to share with. They're here with me. They're, we're here together. And they want that moment for them. Look, bold People who understand hope are saying, look, if God could use my life to reach people, I'm going to share that with them in, in eternity. And let me tell you something. Bold people, I think, will have a different experience in heaven than people who aren't bold in their faith. And I'll tell you why. It's not because they've proven themselves to God. It's because they're going to experience more of what God has done. Let me give you a quick illustration from my life that um, I feel like God, um, God has kind of given to me. Because I think oftentimes I set my hopes too low. <laughs> Like, sometimes I have hopes that I look at and I think, that was probably childish. Maybe you've done that. You look back at things that you used to hope and dream for and you think, eh, 
wasn't all that, right? Like, this is going to sound silly, but I'm a huge baseball fan. And I went my whole life, 33 years without the Red Sox winning a pennant. And when they won it, they finally won the World Series. The next day, I was like, all right, it's Tuesday. <laughs> Back to work. I mean, it wasn't that big a deal. Now, that may sound silly to you, but I think our hopes are sometimes going to be like that. When Christ returns, all the hopes that we have that we've spent our life trying to do are going to seem silly compared to knowing Christ. Let me give you a glimpse of how God put this in my heart. So last week, we shared the five-year anniversary of LifePoint Westerville. And I shared throughout the, the sermon of different anecdotes of things that happened over the last five years. And, and, and I had one that kept popping up in my head that I wanted to share, but I didn't share because it wasn't really about what God had done in the church. It was something God did in me. And uh, it, was, it was my girl's baptism. So both of my daughters, um, you know, they were young and they were raised in the church. And, and so I didn't want them to get baptized because of me. Like I taught them about what baptism is, but I never said, hey, you guys should get baptized. I, I'm, I like, I never said those words because I wanted them to start telling me because I wanted to know that God was telling them to do it. And so therefore they're not just trying to please me, mom or dad or their friends or anything. I wanted them to do it and, and just want to please God. So they were getting older and they kept asking me more and more about baptism. Well, what about this? And, they, and finally, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to put them off, right? And finally, my youngest daughter says to me, Dad, why are you trying to stop us from following God? I went, okay, I think you guys are ready. That's fine, okay. So like I said before, um, I, my first years in ministry were 13 years down at Ohio State working with college students. At, at that kind of a church, um, there's kind of like generations. So think of it as like each four or five years, it's a different church. So the people here wouldn't even know the people here. It was, it was constant turnover because, you know, people leave, right? So it was, it was kind of like a different church. So we had these relationships with all these different people, but a lot of them knew my kids from when they were babies to now they're getting into their teen years. Like they interacted with all these college students for years. So when they heard that my girls were getting baptized, a lot of them came to the service that day just to honor them and to celebrate with us. Well, that was a really cool event. But afterwards, some of them said, hey, we'd love to stick around and get some lunch afterwards. So they said, let's pick out a restaurant. They picked the restaurant. Now, Tammy and I had to stay at the church to help make sure everything was closed down. And then we finally went over. We were a little bit late. When we came in, we realized at the tables, people sat with the people they knew. And people at different parts of the table didn't know the other parts of the table. Like I'm thinking, oh, I didn't, it didn't occur to me that they wouldn't know each other because they were different generations of that church. So Tammy and I said, we're going to split up. You go one end, I'll go the other end, and then we'll switch midway through. That way we'll get to spend time with everyone at the table. So here's a little picture. It wasn't that big, uh, but you know, we had a lot of people at the table. So I'm sitting down here at the end with my youngest, and I start talking to one of the girls. I said, now, can you remind me, how did you become a believer? And she starts telling the story. She goes, well, that girl right there, she points across the table, says, that girl right there came to my dorm when I was a freshman, and she shared the gospel with me. And she brought me to church, and she lived it out in front of me, and eventually the gospel took root, and then I became a believer. I'm like, I know you're a believer. How did I? This is amazing. So the girl across from her, I said, so what happened with you? She goes, well, the girl next to me. I was a sophomore in college, and she reached out to me, and she started pouring her life into me, and the gospel took root, and she's telling the story and going on and on about what God did in her life. And I was like, well, what happened to you? She goes, well, the girl up there, she reached out to me. And I realized in that moment, she's pointing to someone up at the top of the table that the other girls don't know. And I know that girl's story because the girl up here, it was the girl over here that poured into her life. And this girl up here, it was my wife that poured into her life. And I'm sitting there in that moment, I'm thinking, God, what have you done? The heritage of the gospel pouring out. And I'm sitting back going, all I did was say yes to the Lord. I didn't create any of this. I'm just a part of what God has done. Look at what you've done. And in that moment, I kept thinking, these people don't even know these people, and yet they're connected by the gospel. Can you imagine what's going to happen when the Lord returns? 
You're going to meet the person who was praying for you that you had no idea was praying for you. That person's going to come up and go, oh, I was praying for you. I, I knew he would get you. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? The joy, the overwhelming sense of incredible glory that we're going to have in what Jesus does through our life. That's what Paul's saying. He has a hope that's bigger than any hope we can imagine in this world because it's an eternal hope that comes from something that is eternal and something glorious. And he's given his life to that. That's what he's putting his hope in. And that's what I think the challenge is to us. What are we putting our hope in? I'm not saying you need to quit your job because you have to provide, but it's your job that might be the mission field that God's placed you in. You might look at your family and think, my family frustrates me. Well, God may have you in that family on purpose. You think the school you go to, how do you know that God didn't place you in the school on purpose, that God wants to use you to reach some of the students in that school? You don't know. You don't know about your neighbors. You have no idea, but there might come a day if with a little bit of bold faith, I'm not talking about becoming some, you know, scholar and being like Paul. I'm talking about with a little bit of faith and saying, I'm going to follow the word of God. I'm going to love my neighbor. And if God will simply do something, how do you know that you're not going to be sitting on that day when Christ returns and look over and go, I told you. <laughs> do you imagine? So what's the benefit? Here's, here's the thing I think that I could say to all of us, that you will never experience the life that God has meant for you without a little bit of boldness. If you're a believer in this room and you came in today and you're like, I'm, I've been running with God, but you think God has maybe put something on your heart, whatever it is, right? It might be, oh, I need to eliminate something from my life. Oh, I need to start becoming more disciplined in this. I need to set aside more time for prayer. I need to share with this person, whatever it is. And there might be things I don't even imagine, but you know, if God has put something in your heart, then you need to boldly say yes to God. If you came in today and you're like, you know what? I, I, I know I need to take a step. Maybe for some of you, it's getting involved in a life group. You know you need to be in community. You need to be with people who are believers and, and start connecting and integrating. You, you, you need that. It's time to take a bold step of faith and say, I'm gonna get involved. Maybe you've never been baptized. Let me tell you something. Getting baptized is obedience to God. Jesus was baptized. He tells all believers to get baptized. If you've never been baptized, that's a bold step of faith to say yes to the Lord, to, to go public with your faith. We're, we're having a baptism next week. If you are interested in baptism, find me. I'll talk to you. I'll meet with you this week. I'll call you this week, whatever it takes to help you understand. And if you're ready, we'll get you baptized. Why? Take steps of faith that are bold. And maybe for some of you, you came in today and you would say, you know what? You've never made your faith personal between you and God. Maybe you came in today and you're like, you, you believe it's true. You've maybe always believed it's true, but you've never said, but I'm gonna submit to Christ. I want to follow him. I want his forgiveness and mercy. If you come in today and say, I've never done that, a bold step of faith for you, and it may seem really small, is simply saying to Jesus, Jesus, I want your love and forgiveness over my life. I wanna follow you. That simple step of faith transfers you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. If you're in the room, this is your step today. Whatever it is, I want to help you take a step. So let's stand. Let's pray together. The band's going to lead us in a song here in a second, and we're going to finish up. But let's just take a second to talk to God. As, I'm, as we get ready to sing, if, you're, um, if you have something else that's on your heart that has nothing to do with what I talked about and you need some prayer, back in my back left, uh, there's going to be some people at the Next Steps area. You can go back there and ask them uh, for, you know, to pray about anything. And it doesn't matter what it is. It may have nothing to do with what I talked about, but you just want someone to pray with you. Just head back there during the time when we start to sing.
Um, that would be a bold step of faith for some of you. But for some, uh, you just need to do that. So let's take a second. Let's pray. Let's close your eyes, bow your head. Let's talk to God. Whatever is going on in your heart, talk to God. Know that he hears you. He actually wants to hear from you. And whatever it is, talk to him. If there's something that's been going on in you and you know there's a step you need to take, say this to God. God, I hear you very clearly. I know what you're asking me to do. And then say, God, give me the courage to do that step this week. For some of you, it's, it's God, show me the time to set aside where I could create a new discipline in my life. For some, it might be that you have a person in your life that you're thinking about that you know is disconnected from the Father. And maybe it's time just to pray for them right now. And maybe if you came in and like church is normal for you, but you've never submitted your heart to Christ, today could be your day. You simply say to the Father, God, I believe in you. Just tell him that. God, I believe in you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Tell him from your heart to his. I believe you, God. I believe in what you did. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's what that means. You simply say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Would you please forgive me? I am sorry. Would you come into my life and lead me? Help me to follow you. You need to know it's not the amount of faith. It's the little faith of just saying that to Jesus. He's already done all the work. And all he requires is a little step of faith on your end. You need to know that when you pray that, he transforms your life. He'll put his Holy Spirit in you to lead you. He'll have other believers in your life to lead you. I wanna help you take a step. If you just prayed that prayer, one of the things that Jesus asked of us in following him is that to make our faith public. And there's a simple first step you can do. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So I want you, if you just pray the prayer, to acknowledge that with me, before me, because God sees that and God will acknowledge you in heaven. If that's true, if you just raise your hand up, that's it. Between you and me, raise your hand up high enough to see it. Yes, I see you there. Anyone else high enough? I see you there in the back. Anyone else high enough I can see? I'm short, guys. Yes, you may put your hands down. Thank you so much. God, I, I pray that you meet um, the, the people in this service and the people in the last service who who made that step with you. God, I pray that you would help them to grow in their faith. Help them to sense your spirit in them, leading them. Lord, help put people in their life that can help them to grow. And God, I pray that even that little step of boldness they took today, God, you would meet them where they're at and their faith would never be the same because you're there with them now in a way they've never had. God, for most of us in this room, we're trying to follow you, but we, we, wanna, we wanna keep risk away from ourselves, God. Meet us where we're at. Lord, help us to have some boldness in our heart to follow you well, no matter the circumstance. God, meet us there. And God, for those in this room who are just dealing with struggles and persecutions and trials, God, I pray that you would give them a bold faith to cling to you in the midst of these things. Because that is a boldness, God, that you require that we would cling to you and that you would do your work in us. God, we ask that in your son's holy name.